Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. On a typical episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. I hopefully share some actionable tips and proven strategies that they and you can use to grow your audience and business. But today's episode is a little different because today is going to be a flip the script episode. And what that means is that instead of someone coming on and asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I'm going to ask him the three questions. And today that guest is Kevin Shen. Kevin is a longtime YouTuber who has helped more than 400 people build their home video setups through his Dream Studio course and consulting. He and his team have designed and built studios for prominent thought leaders like Tiago Forte, David Perel, and Steph Smith. And their studio transformations have helped people go from the hostage on a webcam look to looking like masterclass for YouTube videos, podcast interviews, and work from home Zoom calls. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you will notice there's a massive difference between Kevin's background, which looks lovely, and my background, which looks like the aforementioned hostage situation. So with that in mind, hey, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, man, it's good to be here. I am super excited to have you here, and not just because I desperately need your help, but I was saying to you just before we started recording I think you have developed one of the smartest niches that I have seen because I think everybody struggles with backgrounds and how do I look on video and what do I do and even lighting. And it's funny for me recently, I recently moved, which is one of the reasons why there's a blank white wall behind me and nothing else, but new room, new sound, new lighting, had to get a light for the first time. I used to be right in front of a window. It's still very much a work in in progress. So hopefully after this conversation, if nothing else, I will get some tips that help me improve my own situation. We got you. Um, yeah, cool. So So let's start with the first thing I want to know. The before and after transformations I've seen from people you've helped, and for anyone who hasn't, who isn't familiar with you, look up Kevin and go see like these before afters of people he's worked with. It is really mind blowing and speaks for itself. So, in all this stuff, what are the three most common mistakes you see people making when it comes to video setups prior to actually hiring you or learning from you? Right. So they come to you and they say, I don't, stuff's not working for me. What are the three biggest mistakes that you see? Okay. That's a good question. And like I said, I didn't prepare any answers. So hopefully we're just going to go off the top of my head here. I think there, a lot of it is, I'd say from the, from the get-go, I think a lot of people try to copy stuff and they just go and spend hours and hours. I can't tell you how many hours I personally spent when I was trying to figure this stuff out, just watching other people's stuff and just trying to copy like I know someone who owns a camera, let me get that camera. And not thinking about, is it a good fit for your space? Is it a good fit for your type of content? Different vibes require different types of lenses, lighting situations, colors, and stuff like that. Um, and so not thinking about it, like um, it's almost like if you want to tailor a suit, you want to get the suit to fit you, not just mm -hmm. because you saw someone else wearing that suit. And so I'd say that's probably the first one, not thinking through, right. it's not it's an extension of you, right? And so it should be based on you. Right. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think another kind of piggybacking off of that, I think one thing people tend to do is they think it's just about like gear and they're like, oh, megapixels. Okay, whichever camera has the highest megapixel count is better. And we forget that the gear is one thing, but then knowing how to use it is another thing. Mm-hmm. And I always, always, always tell our students and clients, like, if you take the most expensive camera and you point it at the ugliest setup, it'll be a higher resolution, ugly setup. Right. <laughs> right. And it's so easy because we just think we can throw money at the problem and just fix it by getting more megapixels, which, by the way, is kind of irrelevant for video because mm-hmm. video isn't even that many megapixels to begin with. And so, yeah, just kind of think through, like, how do you want the person to feel in your space? If we want to get nerdy here, one thing I love nerding out about is yeah, like please do. everyone in your audience, like you were talking about, is like a creative entrepreneur, right? And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we want to think about how do we get people to take certain actions that benefit them and benefit us? And so it's, it's kind of, at the end of the day, we're designing attention. If mm-hmm. you really think through everything that we're doing with podcasting, YouTubing, videos, whatever, we're trying to get people's attention where we want it to go. And we want them to feel a certain way about it. And so if you, this is a process we take everyone through, but if you go through and you really think through all the way down to the deepest piece, like I call it the emotional payload. What do you want that emotion to be in your content? Because if you can identify the emotion that gets the person in the mode of being able to see what you offer and wanting to work with you, whether that's communicating trust, authority, relatability, whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. If you can... If every person you interacted with on a day-to-day basis was already in that state, you would never have to push uphill. Like you'd like people would just naturally, you wouldn't even have to sell anything. Mm-hmm. Like naturally it would just happen. So why don't we kind of think about how we do that and create that environment when we show up for people? So that's always a fun one to think about. So let's let's drill down on that a second, because I think that's really interesting. So let's just let's take a let's take a hypothetical example, right? And say there's someone out there who is a, I don't know, let's say that they're a career transition coach, right? People hire them to help them figure out how to get their next jobs or switch careers or whatever, right? And they say, okay, I'm doing a series of videos or I have a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever it is. And I think it's really interesting that you're saying like, what is sort of, I think you used the word vibe, like what is the vibe that, you know, or the emotion that you want to convey? If that person's like, I don't know, how do they figure out for themselves or think about what the emotion is they want to convey? And then how do they translate that into something, right? So I guess it's a two-part question. First, how do they, think, how do they start to think about what emotion they want if they're not sure? Mm. And then second, let's say they say that I want people to trust me, making this up, or I want to inspire people. Right. How do they take that and then go, how does that influence their design setup, basically? Or visual that's, setup? Yeah, that's a fun one. I think this is something I struggle with personally, the former one for the longest mm-hmm. time. How do you figure out what the person needs to hear, not what you want to say? And right. that goes for the verbal, but also kind of the what's the word? Subverbal, non nonverbal. There we go. Mm-hmm. Right. And like me coming into all this stuff, the reason why I know this stuff is because I did YouTube for a long time. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, it was like, I want to create what I want to create, right? And it took a long time for me to go, hold on, I need to be asked if I want to make money with my creative stuff, I have to ask what the person needs. And that's a mm-hmm. completely different, it's listening instead of talking. And I think the best way to figure that out if someone's in that situation would be to kind of study what's working already. So the people that you've built relationships with who do trust you, who have bought from you, who do follow you, ask them to sort of recount for you their journey of how they decided that you are worth their time and attention, 
why they, they feel drawn to you. And as much, in as much detail as possible, recount their whole journey. And one question I really like asking is, if you were to pitch this to other people, how would you phrase this? A lot of times we kind of have to, it's kind of this spray and pray methodology where we just like, let's just figure out a pitch and see if it sticks, right? And we forget to ask the other person, like, can you communicate this to me if I was someone who didn't know about this? And you can kind of sense the words that they use. And kind of from there, kind of distill down what is the emotion? Because you might think like, oh, I'm giving so much information, right? Like in our course and stuff, I thought it was just, let me teach you like the gear settings and lighting placement mm -hmm. and all this stuff and color theory, which is what we give to people. But the main emotion, one of them is I'm feeling so overwhelmed. I don't think I yeah. can do this myself. I'm about to give up. I don't have time to spend 60 more hours doing this. I don't even know where to start. And so the overwhelm and like talking to the overwhelm and saying, hey, we've got you. Um, like we've got space for you here to take care of you. That's kind of one of the emotions that we discovered mm -hmm. is, is kind of what we need to convey. The way that we kind of approach creating that stuff is by kind of thinking through like, okay, actually there's so many different ways. One of the ways is we, we have this whole database of inspirations that we've kind of gathered from students, from ourselves as we do research, right? Like hundreds of different studios that we've found through the internet and saying like, hey, talk through how each of these make you feel. And we kind of go through this exercise of saying, like, I want you to do this meta noticing exercise of like, notice what you're noticing as you look through these things. And people will, will kind of start to learn stuff through that process and sort of teach themselves like what it actually means to create the looks that they're going for. So for instance, they, they might discover one thing that's pretty common is if you have a space that has a lot of like harsh edges, it doesn't feel as warm and trusting. So like granite countertops, bare areas, flat walls, right? But if you have spaces that are more filled out, warmer, warmer colors, softer textures, more organic shapes like pillows and stuff like that, kind of like a therapist's office, right? You start to notice, hey, this makes me feel more welcome. I feel less stressed out here. And so, yeah, kind of like reverse engineering how you react to things teaches you a lot about what your own taste is and how to kind of create that yourself. That's really, that, there's a lot you said there that I think is really interesting and smart. And and one of the things that popped into my head, and I don't, I'm guessing you would agree with this, you tell me, but that just occurred to me is the idea that in addition to looking to studios, that maybe noticing how you feel in different rooms, just in real life, like, oh, this room makes me feel comfortable, or this room makes me feel creative, or this room feels professional. And it's just starting to, like, I've never really thought about this before, but actually noticing how different environments make you feel and why they've chosen, why does the doctor's waiting room feel a certain way? Why does the therapist's mm -hmm. office feel a certain way? And then applying that to your own sort of backdrops and, and studio settings, it's the same kind of concept, right? Yeah, it's almost like I always think about, we all have that one friend whose house we kind of don't want to spend more time in. We love the friend, right. but like, there's like no place to sit, dude. And like, right. you're, you're like, you know, and we kind of don't realize, but a lot of that is because of the way that it's set up and they've designed it. A lot of it's lighting too. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you can start to reverse engineer, you start to notice a lot more. And I, I think I would, I would dare to, what's the word? Like not, not hypothesize, but I think like, what is, there's like a quote about how all art is just like learning from your taste and see like what matches up with your taste in the real world and just collecting those ingredients, combining them and boom, 
You know, that's something you're proud of. And I think designing a studio is very much in the same way. Like understanding the principles for sure, but then gathering the, the ingredients for you to cook into a dish that's your own. Right. No, and, and I think, and tell me if you agree with this, but this is one of the things that I, that I say to people a lot, separate from sort of studio design. But I think it, I think it also implies that the idea that there is no like one right studio, like it's a choice. It's not, it's not a right or wrong. It just sort of depends what you're going for. It's not like to, to say, okay, I want an authoritative set versus a inspiring set. One's not better or worse. They're just different choices. But I think to, to your point, being conscious about those choices that you're making is I think what a lot of people don't do. They're just like, oh, well, that person did that. So I guess I'll just do what they did. Right. Exactly. And it's really, it's making the cho making a choice and being conscious and deliberate as opposed to not, that is really the quote unquote right or wrong, as opposed to it needing to be a certain way. Yeah, 100%. Like I've talked to some folks who are financial advisors and it's like, if you gave them an eight-year-old's like video game setup, it would send the wrong message and it would actually make them right. probably lose clients, right? Yeah, totally. And I think yeah. really at the core about this um, is most of what we do is signaling. Right. Like I was thinking about this was kind of a I promise this is related. I was walking back home the other day from the gym and it was kind of nighttime and I was walking past these people at night and I go, I'm like walking pretty close to this person. I don't want to freak them out. You know, I don't want to kind of come off as like threatening or something like, why is this guy following me? And then I look down, I'm like, I'm dressed pretty nice. I look like a young professional. And so it looks like I take care of myself. And I realize like this is kind of the signal that signaling that we do is like someone who's not in a good mental health situation would not be taking care of, you know, their clothes and their hair and all that stuff, right? And so you like all, yeah, like so much of what we do, especially when we interact with strangers is through these, these kind of cues and signaling, right? And then with video online, like sure, content is super important, but in order to grow anything, we have to get the attention of a stranger who's never met us before. And the only way they can really figure out, you know, like who is this person in that split second as they're scrolling through things is to rely on these kind of signals. And so thinking through what signals do you want to send, right? Yeah. So for instance, if you wear a suit in your videos, it's maybe you want to appear older, you want to appear more, I don't want to say closed off, but more professional, right? Mm -hmm. If you wear something that's more like a t-shirt, like you have, I felt super comfortable here, you know, talking with you because it's, you're setting the tone, you're signaling, right? right? This is like a friend dynamic. And so really it comes to kind of like that self-awareness of what you want to signal. And then from there, we can build out for you, like what that looks like. Yep. And understanding that even if you're even choosing not to send a signal is send it, you're always sending a signal, whether you're deliberate about it or, or not. That's great. So let's get to the second question. I, I have no idea how much money people are investing in equipment to make themselves look great on video. I'm sure there is a wide range, but I want to do a hypothetical for people who may not be able to afford a lot of new equipment and stuff like that. So here's the question. If someone had to just shoot on their phone or their built-in computer camera, and they had less than $200 to spend to improve their look, improve their studio, what would you tell them to do to get the best possible look? So this could be a combination of what do they spend that $200 on? What do they do? Just even simple things in terms of maybe where they place their camera or where they, you know, I got 200 bucks. I want to improve my look. What do I, what do I do? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, so 200 bucks. Um, I'm going to nitpick that question. You said to improve their look. Are we talking audio too? I'll leave that up to you. Okay, Let, let's include audio, the whole package. So the way that I, I approach it is like, we don't want to go from zero to perfect in one, in one go, no matter how big the budget is, because that's just overwhelming, right? And so you kind of want to approach it in multiple steps. The first step is getting rid of all the stuff that's actively hurting you. What are the things that are pushing people away? And bad audio is one of those things that even if you want to hear the, the content, if it's bad audio, it's actually painful to listen to. And so we want to remove that. And so if you have really bad audio, getting some sort of cheap microphone, like the lavalier mic, for instance, for like $30, $30 I think you can get on Amazon. That's probably one of the ways to go. Or otherwise, just moving a microphone closer to you. So that's removing the negatives. Also, if you have any situation where the, the window's behind you and they can't see your face, again, that's a negative. There's no person to connect with. So getting yourself visible in the shot, all that stuff's super important. And then once you get into spending budget for like gear, I'd say usually we recommend getting a nice camera, but that's probably out of, out of the budget. The reason we do that is because like the optics of how, we, how our eyeballs see stuff, stuff behind you is blurry stuff in focus where you're looking at is in focus. And so you can't really get that with a small, tiny lens and tiny sensor. But if we're working around that, I'd say the next, the two biggest things to think about is lighting and background design. So now we're focused on making the thing the camera's looking at look as good as possible, right? And so in order to do that, you want to, with lighting, you want to make sure that you're not just shining a light straight dead on, like during the headlights. It's kind of the mugshot look. It's like you, you can't even tell any terrain on the person's face. They just look flat. And so what you want to do is take any light source you have and you want to move it a little bit off to the one o'clock or 11 o'clock position to give a little bit of a sense of depth. You can kind of see here on my right side of my face, it's brighter. Here's darker. Yeah. You can still see my whole face, but it gives you the sense of it wrapping around my face. And that gives you more of that kind of cinematic look. You also, so you could play with having a, a window, you know, instead of in front of the window or the window behind you kind of turning off to the side. And then think about the background design too. Again, it comes back to the signaling, right? So the more you can show intentionality, the more we can go away from the blank white wall or the green screen look. Those kind of just signal, I was too lazy to do anything about this, right? And maybe you don't I have- I dare to, you. <laughs> right? Like, or you just moved it to a new house. You nailed it. I get it. I, I'm just kidding with you. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, it's something Guilty that, is charged. What was that? Guilty is charged. I think we all, like, we all start there though, right? Yeah. And it's, the, it's, it's kind of the- the reason we associate that with the low budget setup or the low effort setup is because it's just so common. If every house in the world was automatically painted blue, my setup would be the low quality setup. And yours would be like, wow, you took the effort to paint your setup white. And so think through like, what would make your space look intentionally set up? And so sometimes there's like equally good choices for things in terms of furniture, but one makes it look more like an average bedroom and one makes it look like a, like, I don't know, like a cool museum or something, right? Even if they're the same price and you, you have like equal taste for both of them, pick the one that like is a little bit less common because people are going to start to think, wow, this person took the time to set up their thing. Their content is also probably really well thought out. Let's talk about lighting on a budget. So would you, would you recommend they buy some sort of light, again, if they don't have a lot of money, but you know, obviously some lights, you can get lights that aren't necessarily that expensive. Could they repurpose an existing lamp they have? Like how much difference does that make? What would you, what would you recommend someone, how they handle lighting? Yeah, good question. 
So with lighting, one rule to follow is in general, the more lights you have, the more you're able to do, right? Because when we think about design, bringing everything back to designing for attention, right? What is attention? It's making something pop and something receive. You have to have both. Otherwise, if everything's super bold and shouting at you, it's just, it's actually worse than everything, you know, being in the background. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, we have to create some stuff that pops and some stuff that recedes. So we can kind of draw the eye towards what's closer to the camera, right? Mm -hmm. So lighting allows you to do that. Lighting allows you to see what is closer and farther from the camera. And so the more lights you have, the more you can do. So for instance, if I turn off this light here, right? You kind of don't really get to see my face as much. So it's like, okay, number one, you can see my face, right? This allows me to connect with yeah. the audience. And then I have another light up here. So do you have, so just really quickly. So for people who are watching this on YouTube, which if you're listening to this, go to my YouTube channel and watch it on YouTube, especially this episode. So tell, just talk me through how many lights do you have on you right now and where are they positioned? Right now, this is kind of my lazy setup. I have only two lights. Sometimes I have right. another light, but the, if you want to get into it, I, I kind of like taking these, these tech, tech, what's the word? Like tech specs. Um, mm -hmm. type of stuff and turning them into like the more human like way to understand them right and so you have the the main light the primary we call the key light right it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a little bit off to the side of my camera it's this big light source and it's diffused across the white sheet right mm -hmm. and so that helps to illuminate my face and it goes from one side over to the cheekbone 85 percent of my mm -hmm. face right that is so that human beings we connect with faces if you can't see a face we can't connect right and then the other light we have is like kind of the top light people call it the hair light um, I just call it the top light, so it's not as confusing. The reason we have this in here, you can kind of see, like, if I turn off my top light, mm -hmm. I kind of start to fade into the background, right? You see how, like, the, the edges of me are not that crisp, especially my hair. Like, my hair is just right. completely like a black hole now. But now I have this. You see how I just pop so much. Right. And so are both, the, are both those lights on the same side? So I have my key light over here right in front of and me. That, is that, that's, like, above sort of pointing down on you? angled sort of yeah it's almost like um kind of like an awning a little bit so okay i would i'm touching it right now okay yeah and so the exact position you kind of move it around it you know change it up a little bit but you just kind of want it relatively above you pointed down at you a little bit off to the side to get that fall mm -hmm. off and mm -hmm. so the next one is you i have a top light here right mm -hmm. and so we it kind of signals like where do you ever see a top light at a concert where you've paid to attend when you know you're waiting for that person to say something at a museum where you see a famous piece of art lit this way or like some profound architecture or something like that so it signals to us that hey this thing is this person is super important or this message is going to be something that kind of touches a little deeper right? and is that top light literally right above your head yeah it's right here so it's right so it is like a right it's directly above so one is sort of in front of you angled a bit the other is sort of directly above shining down on the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, so that one kind of gives you that sense of authority, credibility, that, that focus, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I usually have another one turned on, but again, I just was lazy today. I didn't turn on. Yeah. But that one kind of crosses over to this side of the face. Um, mm -hmm. My setup was a lot darker or if I had darker skin, I would be kind of fading off into the shadows here, right? You kind of, mm -hmm. my hair is a little darker on this side, right? Like it's not getting right. much illumination. And so we have that one to kind of fill in some of the shadows. We don't want any harsh shadows because it psychologically, it's like, oh, are you hiding something? On every movie poster, if there's a villain in the shot, the villain usually has some really dark shadows on their face. Mm -hmm. right? If you pay attention to that, you kind of notice like that's how we kind of quickly signal that this person is not to be trusted.
Right. It's unconscious signals that we're so used to by this point that we pick up on and, and are sending a message. What yeah. about in your background, the what I assume is the shadow of a plant or something? Yeah. Yeah. So I just have a light off to the corner and it's just shining onto the wall. And it just happens to be another cool way to add some texture. <clears throat> so when we're thinking about designing a setup, we want to sort of balance. Um, we want to make it interesting. We want to fill up the background, but we don't want to clutter the background. Like the background should always be playing uh, a supportive role to grab the person's attention from outside the frame, whether it's another another tab you're scrolling through or something else in your room, to grab the attention to the to the video and then pass that attention onto you. Mm-hmm. And so this is like a texture that allows me to add some stuff without cluttering and drawing the attention. Without actually having something in the the back. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So any other, let me, let me sort of flip that question just a little bit and say, so if you don't have a lot of money, that's kind of some stuff to, to think about spending it on. Maybe audio is even the place to start some audio, some lighting. What do you think people that have limited budgets are, what are the mistakes they're making in terms of spending? They go, I only have $200 and I went out and bought this. And then you're like, that's not, you could have done better than that. What do you think people waste? People that have limited budget are wasting money on Mm. for their studio setup. Let me think about that. One of the most common things that I see is people buying a ring light because it looks like the YouTuber setup. It looks like the TikToker setup, right? And I think that's a big mistake because if you think about why people use ring lights, they are for when your face is super close to the camera and you can put the camera in the center so you Mm -hmm. can light light your face from all around so you don't get any like harsh wrinkles in your face. Right. And so that's only useful if you're shooting makeup videos or like a music video where you're super up close. As soon as you sit down like this and we're usually like kind of like um, informational or like thought leader type videos, those ring lights immediately lose their purpose because if the ring light is that far away, it's just it's just deer in the headlights now, like the the mug shot setup we talked about. And so I'd recommend not getting a ring light, but instead actually choosing the, the light based on what you need it to do for you. Another costly mistake i'd say probably getting if you buy a camera a lot of cameras come with what's called a kit lens and it's just a lens that's okay for everything but not the best at anything and so what i usually recommend people do is think about your camera and lens separately your lens should be a part of your studio itself because just like a painter has to choose the size of their canvas Mm -hmm. right and the size of the canvas determines what they're painting in your, in your space, if you're going to shoot super wide and you can see everything around you, you're going to design your background a lot differently than if you only had to see, you know, four square feet on your, the wall behind you, right? You'd have a lot less effort you have to put in and all that stuff. So the lens determines how wide you can see. So I'd recommend people don't spend extra money on a full camera plus lens kit and mm-hmm. discard the lens. Just get the body only and then buy the right lens for their space. Gotcha. Cool. Okay, so let's get to my third question for you. It sounds like your course and services, unsurprisingly, have really taken off in recent months. This is my perception from afar. It just seems like you, you've really struck a nerve and things are going well. So congrats on that. I'm curious, as a sort of course creator now, what have you learned about how to scale, how to man, or what are you learning about how to manage that success? What are you doing or what did you do as your offer really started to take off? Is there anything you wish you would have known sooner or done differently? I think there's so many people out there 
creating courses or services or products. And like their, their hope is like, oh, that it clicks, right? But I think you're someone who it has clicked and it's working. So I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on what you've learned and are learning and maybe are still trying to figure out in that process. Yeah, that's one that that I kind of that's kind of near and dear to me because I was definitely in that position where I was struggling a lot, like a lot of kind of dark times where you're just like the analogy that I gave was I just kept telling my friends, like, it's almost like you're diving, you're deep water diving and you find this cave that has air in it. Right. But the air is running out. But the only way to go to the next cave to hopefully find more air is you have to go back down into the water and start burning oxygen to get to the next, you know. And it's really scary when you're like, what am I doing? Every action that I take is costing me time and energy and all this stuff. And I think one thing that I've been learning personally kind of through therapy is like, I wish I'd learned this way earlier, which is really untangle for yourself. What is your number one goal, right? If you had to just pick one, are you going, are you creating so that you can feel good and use it as an outlet? Are you creating so that you can create some of your own sense of significance in the world? Um, or are you genuinely creating to build a business? And I think it was really hard for me to untangle that because I think growing up, I'd always thought like you want your work to be the most meaningful thing you do, um, which I think is 100% true or maybe not some percent true, right? Probably depends on the person, but yeah. I'm still, I'm still working through a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But essentially what I realized was I had kind of subconsciously, it's like if each of these values is a mountain peak that you're climbing, you know, and one's on the left, one's on the right. I'd always been subconsciously going like at every intersection, like, am I going to go left or right? And sometimes I go left, sometimes I'd go right. And so I'd just end up staying in the valley between these two mountains instead of just mentally going, Kevin, like you're here to build a business because if you don't have the business sustaining anything, you can't do the other thing that you want to do, which is help people out. And so it really took me, I'm a very stubborn person. I was working in tech. I had saved up like, you know, some money and I was like, I'm going to just try to do this YouTube thing. No business model in mind. I was living in San Francisco over the course of a couple of years. I burned through, I think like a hundred thousand dollars of just, just things are going to work. I'm going to trust it, but not really differentiating for myself. What am I actually trying to build for myself? And then I got to the point where I, I moved back home with my parents and I was at the point where I think I had to ask them for like some money and I go, okay, this obviously hasn't worked there's no way for me to build my ego or my sense of significance or whatever that was that I was chasing. It finally gave me the permission to say, let me just focus on the money. Like, what does it look like to actually build a business? And I had some, um, some really hard decisions to make because I told myself I would never be the gear guy. I would never be the studio guy because that's just too technical. Right. You know, right. I want something that I'm personally really passionate about. Like, I think loneliness is a huge problem in the world. And I wanted to make content that makes people feel like, hey, like you belong here. Um, that when people are scrolling their feed, it's like a place to give them rest, you know, and give people hugs through the internet. And then one of my mentors, he was like, hey, like you say you want to help people. What is the world ask actually asking of you right now? And I'm like, yeah, you know, they're like asking to pay me to help them with their studios, but I want to help people. And he's like, dude, that's how you help people right there, you know? So the lesson I think really that I wish I could go back and give to my younger self is like say, hey, clarify yourself what you're building for because you can't climb a mountain if you don't know which mountain it is. You know, you can't make the right yeah. decisions along the way. And secondly, to do that, to really genuinely build a business, it's more about listening than trying mm -hmm. to talk and force what you think the world needs. 
And so I was trying to build something that was like passive income, the passive income dream and never have to talk to anybody. That's going to be great. Right. I mean, money, but realizing it's more about like going and talking to people and helping them out in like a more direct face-to-face context, mm-hmm. partially because you get more information to figure out like, what are the, like the emotional things like we talked about that people gravitate to? When mm-hmm. do they react to when you say this versus that? But also a hugely overlooked thing that especially I think a lot of us creatives face is it's so hard for us to kind of remember and hold on to the fact that people do want value from us. And what, that mean, what I mean by that is like, I think as creatives, because we can see all the possibilities and we can vividly kind of experience what, what's possible, we also vividly experience like, oh, I bet no one cares anymore. I bet no one wants to hear from me again. You know, I bet I don't need to provide anything to the world. And so that's probably one of the more, the biggest traps I think we fall into that could kill the business. And so by staying in constant contact with people who are showing you, hey, this is so helpful. Thank you so much. Personally, that's helped me get through a lot of the struggles that I wish I had kind of had, you know, when I was trying to do stuff passively in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, so much of what you just said resonates with me personally, and I know resonates with a lot of my audience and people that I talk to. And I think what's interesting is is another sort of the way I think about a lot of what you just said is, you know, that spectrum of art and business, right? Am I an artist? Am I a business person? Am I both? And I know for me personally, I've always felt or for a long time felt sort of in the middle, right? I had an artist piece of me, I had a business piece of me, but I think I had a lot of assumptions about the business side. I actually had a lot of assumptions about both, right? I think which is why I always sort of felt in the middle. And to your point, it'd be like, yeah, I could do this and lots of people want this. But like like you said, like, I don't wanna just be the tech guy and like, you know, I wanna make art. And one, a version of what you were saying is I, you know, I want to make art. And one of the things that I, that I think I realized and, and one of the reasons why I started using the term creative entrepreneur, and I think your story about this, to me, I was like, it sounds like you made the pivot from creator to creative entrepreneur mm. and that you understood that building a business enabled your creations. It wasn't abandoning the creative side, the artist side. You didn't say, oh, I'm just going to be a business and screw this art stuff and screw helping people. But that you realize that by embracing the business, as opposed to a lot of people who I think go, I'm just an artist, that it actually enables you to help more people, to make better art, to reach more people. And I also think that business can be done in a way that is artistic. Yours is a perfect perfect example. I think a lot of people fall into, and I include myself in this, right? I think for years, I sort of held myself back on the business side because I somehow viewed it as bad or just like, you know, like, oh, I'm not just about making money. Like I want to help people, whatever. But I think I came to, to realize, and it sounds like you have started to as well, that it's not an either or, and that actually these things help that approaching your business like an artist helps you grow a more successful business approaching your art like a business person helps you be a more successful artist right and one of the reasons why i shifted from that term of i used to just talk about my audience being creators and then for a while i said my audience is creators and entrepreneurs 
And then I shifted and I said, no, it's the people that are both. It's mm -hmm. creative entrepreneurs. It's not these two separate buckets. And, and again, this is my own perception of you. So I could be, I could be way off, but I think you're right in that space where like, yes, you are building a successful business and successful course, but by no means would I look at you and go, oh, he's abandoned his artistic side. He's abandoned, you know, it's your business is clearly rooted in helping people and wanting to help people. And on the flip side, you know, it's funny, I shared a video of yours in my newsletter, I guess like last week or whatever, that had nothing to do with business, but had to do with, you know, helping people as a video. We'll put it in the show notes about, you know, uh, things to think about if you're having a, a tough day. And it is now, it's now seems obvious to me, but I realize that most people still look at it as a choice and or judge the other side. You have business people who are like, I wish I could be an artist or more artistic. You have artistic people who are like, but I feel bad charging for stuff. And what like, and I think, you know, this creative entrepreneur concept for me is that path that says, no, these are not opposite things that actually you can and should be both. And you're more likely to succeed with either if you embrace the other side. Does that, does that feel like Part of, I know I'm putting words in your mouth, but did no, that resonate? everything you said, yeah, like a huge yes to everything you said. Um, I think that's spot on. And it's, I think the coolest thing about entrepreneurship really is kind of similarly the coolest thing about art. It's, it's growing yourself, it's self-discovery. And the way that we do that through entrepreneurship is by going through pressure right? The pressure to change, like we're faced with things that we cannot overcome unless we grow and expand parts of ourselves. And yeah, like one of the biggest parts is really defining what you want. And I think it's almost like, it's not like exactly like you said, it's not an either or like, would you, would you, do you want to be able to sleep or eat? It's like, I kind of want to do both, you know, right. whichever right. you're lacking on, that's the, right. that's the thing that you fix. And so you kind of yeah. bring it up to match the other things so you can keep going. And I think that's kind of the same way with, you know, with like, for example, being a creator, it used to take me such a long time to nitpick every single edit, every single transition and sound effect, right? To the point where I didn't have time to sit back and go, what is the piece of content that I should be making? Because I was so much in the weeds of like, do this, do this, do this. And then as soon as I was done, I was already behind on the next thing. And so I didn't have time to think big picture strategy. Yeah. Um, but learning, for example, one thing in business is learning how to delegate and find people and give them ownership of like, hey, can you help with these edits? I trust you. I'll work with you to refine it. And that has dramatically increased the output of our videos. Not recently because we were focusing on Twitter, but you yeah. know, during the period of time where we did that. And so kind of understanding how to, yeah, exactly like you said, the business can yeah. help, you know, vice versa. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, kind of just to, to wrap up here, I think it kind of comes full circle to some of the stuff that that you said in the beginning of our conversation that what's interesting is you can't be a successful entrepreneur without serving others mm. and thinking about what they want, not just what you, but you can't be a successful creator or artist without being authentic to yourself. Right. That's so good. The, the sweet spot is the combination of the two. When you embrace both, you're authentic to yourself, but you're also providing value and serving others. It's not just about you. It's about okay. them, but it's not so about them that you're willing to sell your soul to just make a dollar. 
And I think to me, that's, that's the difference. The truth is, I don't necessarily want to work with pure entrepreneurs who are just buying and flipping businesses and whatever. And it's just about like, that's not good for them, but that's not my interest. And I don't want to work with people who are just like, I want to paint or write whatever I want. And I don't care if anyone else wants it. Good for you. Have fun. Arts, art for art's sake is great. I like the myth. Yeah. Right? Authentic to myself and valuable to others. That's the sweet spot. And it sounds like that's what you have sort of found your way to as well. There's one thing that like, I was just kind of thinking about this a while ago and it occurred to me, it's so funny where like when, when we say I'm making content for myself, right? It's an audience of one. Right. We, we somehow get like, we're like surprised when we get one view. It's like, you made this content right. for an audience of one. Like, why are you right. surprised? And so if we want content to spread, we have to be thinking about like more than one person. What does more than one person want? It's so funny because I have that conversation all the time with people who are like, I don't want to just tweet about this. I want to tweet about whatever I want to tweet about. I want my newsletter to talk about whatever's going on in my life. And I was like, awesome. Knock yourself out. You just can't expect anyone else to care about it. Mm -hmm. like, like if it's for you, that's great. But don't get upset when the audience isn't growing. Like, you know, you can't have it both ways. So Kevin, this was, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that we connected and it seems like we both sort of see the world in a similar way. So I'm looking forward to talking to you much more and helping you get me out of the hostage room that I'm currently. We'll make yeah. it happen. Uh, so tell people where they can get more information about you, your course, et cetera. Where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at the Kevin Shen. It's an S-H-E-N, not C-H-E-N, Kevin Shen. Also on YouTube. But mostly the, the stuff that we do is a lot more through our course these days. So dreamstudiocourse.com. That's where people can kind of see like the before and afters. They're super fun to check out. But yeah, connect with me on Twitter and I'll try my best to help, help out as much as I can. Cool. And definitely go to his Twitter account because I'm telling you those before and afters speak for themselves. You are going to want to hire him, pay him, kidnap him, do something after you see those. As far as me, you can get more of my stuff at fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. That's my newsletter. Love it. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review it. Subscribe to it on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. I do a series of skill session workshops. You can go to joshspector.com slash sessions to learn about them. If you'd like to hire me as a consultant to help you figure out how to grow your audience and business, go to joshspector.com consulting slash consulting. I'm on Twitter all the time at jspector. And if you would like to be a guest on this show and come on and ask me a few questions, I'd be happy to help you. Go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply. That's about it. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks everyone for listening. I appreciate your interest and I will see you next week. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody. Bye.